Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Mr. Cohen has acted like he is above the law. He has considered himself and openly referred to himself as Mr. Trump's fixer. He has played by a different set of rules, or should we say no rules at all? He could be indicted for bank fraud, uh, wire fraud, campaign finance violations. Says who? He only has three clients. Apparently he works for free. And your okay. question is? I said last Friday and this weekend that Michael Cohen was radioactive. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man on a mission to rehabilitate the phrase mission accomplished, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg, and I've been thinking about Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's Mr. Fix-It, his enforcer, his make-it-go-away man, chief information burial officer of the Delaware-based Essential Consultants, LLC, lifelong friend to the medium-time hoodlum Felix Sater, former co-owner of a Brooklyn catering hall favored by the Russian mafia, partner in a sketchy New York City taxicab medallion business with Simon Garber and Evgeny Friedman, the new Roy Cohn for a pro-Russian Joe McCarthy. Where, I've been asking myself, do we know this character from? Cohen's not a Jewish gangster type necessarily. He's more like a hanger-on and friend to gangsters and thugs, many of whom happen to be Jewish or Russian or both. One place you might run into that type is in a book called Tough Jews that my friend, the writer Rich Cohn, published 20 years ago. And sorry, today's show has more Cones than a Baskin-Robbins. Tough Jews is about Jewish gangsters like Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, and Louis Lepke. But even more, it's about the Jewish fascination with our stereotype-defying mobster brethren, the kosher nostra. Michael Cohen is a wannabe tough Jew. Of course, Jewish gangsters were a phenomenon of the first-generation immigrants. They were mostly gone by the 1950s. But I wonder what the writer Rich Cohen would have to say about Michael Cohen, who 30 years ago in Brighton Beach, New York, met Felix Sater, a.k.a. Shefirovsky, the Kremlin-connected goon and Trump business partner. Michael Cohen's connections among the new gangsters from Russia don't prove anything about Trump and election collusion necessarily, but they say a lot about the kind of people Donald Trump is happy to do business with. Coming up on the show, I'll speak to someone who's even less impressed by Michael Cohen than I am. He's Bloomberg columnist and Trump watcher Tim O'Brien. But first, what about Michael Cohen's trip to Prague? After the Steele dossier was published, Cohen categorically denied ever going there. Based on a new report from McClatchy News, there is now some serious doubt. Okay, go ahead and state your name for the record. Michael Cohen. Okay, now as you know, I'm an assistant district attorney from the Southern District of New York. I got nothing to hide. Okay, I understand that. We basically wanted to talk to you because we've acquired some information that contradicts something you have said. So I just want to ask you again some questions you've previously already answered. Yeah, I know how you acquired it. Okay, you came to three places, and I don't appreciate it, and I don't need it in my life. 
but I got nothing to hide, so go ahead. So in the past, you have denied your visit to Prague. Never been to Prague. Right. So we have conflicting evidence now that indicates you have been to Prague. <laughs> I've never been to Prague, so nothing to hide. Okay, well, this would indicate otherwise. What's this? Yeah, okay. So what? Says I went to Praga. I went to Praga? That's Prague. What? Says who? I mean, that's the word. It's Prague. P-R-A-G-U-E. Praga. Prague you at best. It's that, that's not Prague. That is Prague. That that's how Prague is spelled. You're gonna put a U in Prague. Maybe you were in Prague. No, I wasn't in Prague. You were in Prague. Sounds like you just confessed to me. But you just confessed. This is this isn't about me. So that's news to me that that's what you were asking about. So you went in 2016 then. Yeah, that's right. And according to this information we've received, you met with high level officials at the Kremlin. Absolutely false. Absolutely false. So you didn't the, meet the Kremlin. With, yeah, you didn't meet with officials from the no. Kremlin. Okay, well, according to this, you what? did. Yeah, this is right. Yeah, I sat down with some guys from the Kremlin and uh, met with them about a couple of things. How do you say that word? K-R-E-M-L-I-N, Kremlin. Yeah, it's Kremlin. No, that's the Kremlin. That's what we're talking about. So you did. It says everyone. That's how the word's pronounced. What? Okay, I was in Prauga talking to some high-level guys from the Kremlin. Okay, that's not a secret. I've never lied about that. I never told anybody otherwise. You got people on the fake news saying Michael Cohen was in Prague talking to the Kremlin. That's a lie. It's not a lie. You've just confirmed all of it. This was all laid out in Michael Steele's dossier. That's not real. You just confirmed the information from it. What are you talking about? The, your your 2016 meeting in Prague yes. w- with members of the Kremlin is in the dossier. Look. What? That's the dossier. This is the desire. Oh, it's the dossier. This is a desire. Look at that. We, we say the word you just said. Dossier. That ends with an A. No, it... This is... Look at the last three letters of this. I-E-R. How you say that? A? Well, in this case, it is A. Are we yeah. in America yeah, right now? Yeah, we're in America. How, how could how you say I-E-R as an A? It's a, it's a French word. What are you, Obama? But, no, I'm not Obama. Look... Des- th- desire. Okay, so now I know a lot of the things in this desire are true. Actually, this is this desire is actually pretty thorough. Yeah, in fact, and the intelligence no, is pretty is pretty right on. I mean, this would indicate that th- this is a strong indication that there was collusion, and it and it looks like you were the person doing it. No hashtag no collusion. Okay, hashtag no collusion. We did a lot of collusion. Jesus Christ. That sketch was improvised by Steve Waltine and Asher Perlman of The Opposition with Jordan Klepper on Comedy Central. All right, can I go now? Yeah, you're, yeah, I mean, you can go for now. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's good to be done with this. Bullshit. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Joining me on the line is Timothy O'Brien. He's the executive editor of Bloomberg Gadfly and in Bloomberg View, which is the opinion section of Bloomberg. He's a regular on the show, though it's been a while, Tim. Welcome back. It's nice to be loved again, Jacob. <laughs> well, you've been loved the whole time. We think of you as the uh, as one of the key Trumpologists, of course, because of your excellent book about Donald Trump and your unique experience being sued by Donald Trump. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. What I want to talk about today is Michael Cohn. And you did 
I think your most recent column for Bloomberg earlier this week was kind of a sober up piece about Michael Cohen uh, that was headlined, Cohen isn't the biggest catch from Trump world. And you sort of said, you know, hold your horses. This could be a big deal, of course. But Cohen isn't necessarily the person who knows where all the Trump bodies are buried. And he isn't necessarily the person who was running Trump's real estate business. So, Right. He wasn't running anything at the Trump organization. You know, he was bringing Trump deals. Michael Cohen is the successor of a long line of lawyers who have been in Trump's employ modeled after Roy Cohn. Uh, Roy Cohn, of course, was the, the sort of dark force of, of Manhattan political and, and legal life from the 1950s and, in, until his death in the 1980s. And I think Trump, he was sort of Trump's ambassador to how to play tough in Manhattan real estate and Manhattan politics. And he taught Trump how to weaponize the legal system. Trump has always had someone in his organization who really doesn't practice law. He, sometimes she, but almost I think invariably he, uh, is there to frighten enemies or critics or potential business partners or existing partners with the notion that if you don't do what Trump wants, there will be legal pain to follow. And that's who Michael Cohn is. Um, He's only been at the Trump organization for a little over a decade. There's other people in the Trump organization who have been there for much, much longer and actually sort of ran the, the architecture of the place in consultation, of course, with Trump. I think that's relevant because I think the, the way the media has covered the, you know, the search warrant executed on, on Cohn's residences and offices and the fact that he's got one of the top public law enforcement offices in the country, the, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan, looking at him in conjunction with the FBI, means that a door has been blown open into Trump that is so profound and threatening that this then means the end of his presidency could be near. And I just think that's an overstatement. I think that I think that there's no question that that Cohen's business dealings, he's done business with career criminals in conjunction with the president, most notably the Trump Tower proposal for a project in Moscow, a, a peace plan to, that was aimed to be delivered to Michael Flynn for the Ukraine. That was also a Michael Cohen initiative, et cetera, et cetera. These things are all totally threatening to the president. But Michael Cohen was not the keeper of secrets at the Trump organization. Two other people were. <laughs> well, so, and that's uh, what I wrote about. Right. So let me just press you a little bit uh, on that because, you know, yes, he maybe he wasn't at the center of all the business deals. But the way he's portrayed himself and the way other people have portrayed him as this sort of Ray Donovan character or Tom Hagen from The Godfather, you know, the fixer, the lawyer, that person does know where a lot of bodies are buried. And he might not be the person who made the deal, but boy, do you want to know what that guy knows. And if the lawyer-client confidentiality is is breached – because of the way Cohn's conducted himself and the suggestion that he has participated in the commission of crimes, then at that point, don't you have an open window into all the stuff that we're most interested in knowing about? Not collusion with Russia during the election necessarily, but but infinite uh, running room going backwards into what the Trump organization was doing. No, that you was don't bad. have infinite running room going backwards because Michael Cohn did not touch that much stuff. Michael Cohn, again, he brought deals to Trump to consider. Uh-huh. And if Trump had a problem he needed to be solved, he would send Michael Cohn out to do it, i.e. 
there's a porn star who's alleging that I had a sexual encounter with her. Did the president instruct Michael Cohen to pay her to solve that problem? We don't know. That's going to be investigated. That's going to be problematic for the president. But actions like those aren't the same as structuring real estate deals with Russian investors or things of that ilk that others, I think, in his organization have more knowledge of. Uh, I'm not saying that Cohn doesn't have some knowledge of super damaging things. What I'm saying is Cohn has been created over the last week and in the last two weeks as the keeper of the keys. Yeah. And, and I think the reason that's happened is twofold. One is he said he is, and he's got great professional interest in doing that because this guy who he hitched his star to, Donald Trump, is the president of the United States, and that's good for Michael Cohn's own wallet to say that he's the man. And then secondarily, I think the media has done a lot of reporting without being as thorough as maybe it needs to be in terms of the roots of Donald Trump's business dealings. And I think that, that we're becoming more familiar with those, but it's, it's, it's easier to take Michael Cohn at face value than to dig into what did he know and what didn't he know. And a lot of the stuff he did was overseas deals that I think it, it, those could present a lot less dramatic of a, a legal threat to the president than some of the things that happened domestically that Michael Cohn never touched. Paul Manafort's a similar example. We know that Paul Manafort, you know, he's, he's now been indicted. There's tax fraud. There's bank fraud. He was the president's campaign manager. Undoubtedly, he knows about some things that are going to be perilous to the president. But of everything Paul Manafort touched, how much of that ultimately is going to accrue to Trump himself and present a legal, a legal problem to the president. I, I, I think that's debatable. I think that comparison is exactly right, Tim. And that, that's really interesting because like Manafort, Cohen has this sort of history of these shady, sketchy dealings of his right. own. And what but we don't know is whether they, how they implicate Trump, whether they implicate Trump, but they include, and I don't know how much you've looked into this stuff, but, you know, this taxi cab medallion company where yep. he's was partners with this Russian guy, Simon Garber, who got in legal trouble in the taxi business in Chicago and just looks like one of these, well, he's not from Brighton Beach exactly, but, you know, one of these characters where there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff buried there. He's, you know, was had an ownership stake in this nightclub in Russian in uh, Brighton Beach. He was childhood friends with Felix Sater. Well, you know, I've looked a lot into Felix Sater, obviously, and, and Felix Sater was produced as a witness in my litigation with Trump, and that was the first time Sater was deposed publicly. And it was in the course of my case that Felix's background came out. So, yeah. and, and I've done my own reporting on him, but the. I do think Michael Cohen's intersections with Felix Sater are very dangerous for President Trump. The taxi medallion business, that was a side business that, that Cohen ran independent of the Trump organization. It was something he brought with him when he went there. And everything attendant to that business could have nothing to do with Trump. Right. And, as and far I as we know, fact, Trump was not in the, in the business, except insofar as all links to Russia and Russians seem relevant. And it may be that uh, 99 of them don't pan out, but one does. And until we know whether any do and which one of the of the hundred it might be, they all seem pretty intriguing. 
They are intriguing, but it's a, there's a difference between intrigue and proof. Yep. There's a difference between intrigue and the end of Donald Trump's days. And there's a difference between intrigue and, and the end of Donald Trump's presidency. And so I think we've got to be cautious around those things. Obviously, in Manafort's case, to keep this example going, you know, Cohn had his taxi medallion business with suspect ties. Manafort had done a lot of work for Oleg Deripaska uh, in Eastern Europe. Deripaska is close to Putin. Manafort's firm represented Deripaska. By all accounts, it looks as if Manafort uh, was helping Putin get a friendly government elected in Ukraine, possibly through Deripaska as a channel. That's what's been posited in some of the stories around this. All of that could have happened completely apart from Donald Trump. Maybe it didn't, but there's going to be a, there's a lot of legwork that prosecutors are going to have to go through to prove that those, that sort of event also compromised Trump. And, and remember, when, when Manafort got indicted, there was the same rush of coverage around Manafort as there was this last week around Cohen. You know, it, months have passed, and it, it just may be quite a bit longer before we know what we need to know to start being definitive. I, I mean, I thought your colleague uh, Noah Feldman, also a frequent guest on the show, made a great point in his column today about why he thinks the Cohen prosecution is potentially much more threatening to Donald Trump than Robert Mueller. Mueller has a limited mandate to investigate potential Russia collusion and things coming out of that. The Southern District of New York, the career prosecutors there, first of all, they can't be fired. Trump can't say, stop this prosecution, at least without creating a clearly impeachable offense of obstruction. And they have a sort of unlimited mandate to investigate crimes that may have been committed by Michael Cohen that Donald Trump might have been a co-conspirator in. And while they can't indict Trump on criminal charges while he's in office, they can, if they bring charges against Cohen, they can name Trump as an unindicted co-conspirator. And the day Trump leaves office, they could bring the prosecution. He thinks that's why this investigation is much more threatening. Do you agree? Um, I would interpret Noah's uh, column differently. I agree with what Noah wrote, but I, I, I would interpret But not without it how you get think... summarized it. Okay. Yes. What did he actually write? Well, well, I just think, I think what Noah was saying, you know, the, the issue, obviously, we all know is that Trump might fall or fire Robert Mueller, which I fully think he'll do. I think Trump will try to decimate the top ranks of the Justice Department and then fire Bob Mueller, and then we will have a constitutional crisis. What Noah was saying is Trump doesn't have the executive authority to reach into the Southern District and disrupt that investigation of Michael Cohn, right. that they are independent, and that independence gives them a long-term base of strength uh, for investigating Trump and, and his personal attorney until they see a, a, a need to stop. So I think the difference between Mueller and the, and, and the Southern District is whether or not they're beyond the reach of the president. I actually think Bob Mueller has just as broad a mandate, and I think he believes that himself. He's already subpoenaed the Trump Organization for Business Records. And that's actually why I think the people in the column I wrote about yesterday, Jason Greenblatt and uh, Alan Weisselberg, could potentially be bigger fish because Bob Mueller can get to those guys, and they know much more. And Mueller... Mueller's mandate wasn't intentionally broad. He had to look at everything attended to possible collusion in the 2016 election. And of course, that's going to include financial quid pro quos. Now, Trump's critics of that investigation say it's a witch hunt because Mueller has exceeded his mandate. I don't believe he has. I think he's trying to track down whether or not Donald Trump was a compromised individual, either through collusion, obstruction of justice, or financial quid pro quos. I think what Noah was pointing out was 
Trump has ways to try to blow up the Mueller investigation. He's not going to be able to blow up yeah. this investigation in the Southern District. And there's a third piece of this, actually, that wasn't in Noah's column and I think is relevant, is that there's a third investigation, which is the New York State Attorney General's office and Eric Schneiderman. He's prosecuting Paul Manafort on his own. And he previously looked at the Trump Organization's charitable foundations. That investigation is also outside of Trump's reach. And even more so because it's pardon-proof, right? I mean, the, pardon-proof. He, can, exactly. he can pardon Manafort on federal charges, but he can't pardon him on state charges. So even if he, if he were to make some sort of corrupt deal with Manafort or decide to pardon him, he doesn't get him off the hook with Schneiderman. Correct. And the other, you know, I think interesting uh, human element of all this in that is that you know, Bob Mueller has been playing three-dimensional chess while the Trump team has been playing bingo. Uh, I think when Mueller came in from the minute, remember, he comes in because Jim Comey's been fired. So Mueller knows from the day of his appointment, there's a potential that Trump will try to fire him too. So what does he do to insulate his investigation from executive branch overreach and, and people running into the Justice Department at night and shutting him down and taking his records? He essentially uh, does a joint prosecution with Eric Schneiderman against Manafort, which allows him to share all of his records with Schneiderman. Huh. So there's record preservation going on in this relationship with Schneiderman. It's not just that Schneiderman is independent of the president. It's that Bob Mueller has someone he can share with. <laughs> it's, the strategy is amazing. It's like you have to get create privilege for the documents by getting them on the public record in an untouchable way. Right. And that's one of the arguments for why he handed off this aspect of the, of the Trump investigation of Alvin Cohn to the Southern District. It's yet another way to shore up his own defenses in case the president chooses to try to fire him. I saw someone very cleverly, I can't remember who it was, call it a blockchain prosecution, <laughs> technology that distributes the secrets so that nobody can hack it, hack it and destroy it. Everything comes back to blockchain and Bitcoin now. <laughs> this is the closest I've come to understanding blockchain is through that metaphor. So you mentioned these these two other um, people in the Trump organization, two other lawyers, um, Greenblatt and Wessel, Wesselberg. Yeah, well, Alan Wesselberg is actually yeah. a, uh, the chief financial officer of the Trump organization. It's used at this point to remember that the Trump organization is not a Fortune 500 company. It's a mom and pop shop. Essentially, it's very small. And it's largely a, a branding and licensing arm of Donald Trump himself. And Alan Weisselberg was Trump's father's accountant, Fred Trump's accountant, going back to when Fred Trump was operating off of out of uh, Avenue Z in Coney Island, Brooklyn. And, and young Donald was in a, a little office in the back being miserable and dreaming about building things in Manhattan. Weisselberg, Alan Weisselberg went with Trump to the Trump organization. He knows where all uh, the finances are and, and the financial structure of most of the deals. And, and has a very hands-on knowledge of Donald Trump's personal finances and business finances. The other individual I mentioned in the story, Jason Greenblatt, uh, joined the Trump Organization in 1997, a decade before Michael Trump, before Michael Cohn joined. Yeah. Uh, he had been a lawyer at Freed Frank, an expert in, or had a, was well-regarded real estate lawyer. Trump brings him into the organization, and he's essentially, he's an executive vice president there, and he is essentially the, the firm's in-house counsel. He's the guy who everyone thinks Michael Cohn is, and not no deals got done at the Trump Organization without Jason Greenblatt signing off on them. I'm not saying that either Greenblatt or Weisselberg have done anything wrong. I just think it's logical as Bob Mueller 
continues to investigate the Trump Organization's business dealings and has issued subpoenas in pursuit of trying to decide what those are about, that he's going to have questions of both of those guys. And they just have a much deeper wealth of knowledge than Michael Cohn. And they, they know more and they don't, they don't go around bragging about their undying loyalty. I mean, I guess, I guess uh, Weisselberg, you know, if he's been with the family that long, I don't know, what's your assessment? Is he a guy you could imagine flipping on Trump? No, I don't, actually. And, you know, when, when Trump uh, and his attorney set up a trust uh, for his own business holdings in after he became president, Alan Weisselberg is one of the trustees of that trust. He manages it. Trump appointed him to do that for himself, along with his two eldest sons. I think it, you'd have to go very far before Alan Weitzelberg flipped on Trump. Uh, Jason Greenblatt is now an envoy to Israel on behalf of the White House. Trump appointed him in, at the end of 2016, so he plays a, a senior diplomatic role for Trump in the Middle East. Having said that, the reality is I think everyone who's around Donald Trump, at both the Trump Organization and the White House, knows at the end of the day, the only back Donald Trump will really cover is his own. He may go out of his way for his children, uh, but it primarily ends there. And and these kinds of federal prosecutions become meat grinders. Bob Mueller is a formidable, formidable investigator, and he's going to churn people from the bottom all the way up to the top to get where he wants to go. And if if it comes down to people like Michael Cohn and others deciding to to flip or cooperate. I imagine many of them, the calculation they'll make is they should flip, that Trump either won't pardon them or won't be loyal to them. And I think it was kind of telling last week after the FBI executed the search warrant on Michael Cohn's residences and office, the president in a cabinet meeting in the White House said, this is incredible. They've, they've broken into the offices of my, essentially, he said, you know, they've broken into the offices of my personal attorney and knocked the doors off their hinges. It was very colorful language of, of that sort. People went to Michael Cohn, and he said, actually, they were very polite, and they came in, and they were very professional about what they did. And I sort of thought to myself, aha, a little bit of daylight just opened up. <laughs> Interesting. That is a close reading attorney. of it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. He, he wants to he, – he doesn't want to make his relationship with those people any worse. It yes. is um, – it, Donald Trump does have a pension for a, uh, a Jewish lawyer and a Jewish accountant. It seems like he won't hire you in either of those jobs if you don't have a Jewish last name. Well, you know, Jacob, a good friend of mine, a Jewish reporter at the New York Times said, this is bad for the Jews, or, oh, my God, another Jewish attorney. And I reminded him that Anthony Scaramucci is Italian <laughs> and that Don McGahn is Irish. And the, and the president essentially point. runs a sort of U.N. of sometimes sketchy uh, advisors and lawyers. I've been speaking to Tim O'Brien of Bloomberg View and Bloomberg Gadfly. Tim, thanks for joining me today. Great to be with you, Jacob. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon, Asher Perlman, and Steve Waltine of The Opposition with Jordan Klepper improvised today's sketch. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. <laughs>